Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Everybody just wants to be contented. Everyone wants to be happy. Right now is the most important moment. It's just so unfair on every child who doesn't have options. It's amazing how many unintelligent people look. They're all absolutely astonished at it. What is the matter with these people? We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Now there's an idea worth thinking about. Now whether we can do it or not, I don't know. Or whether anybody could do it or not, I do not know. This idea that you would all stop paying your direct debits to your bills. Casey and Ross had the clip on this morning from this campaigner in the UK who's saying that if we all stopped doing it, then they'd have no choice but to cut the prices. I don't know how you feel about that. I don't know whether it ever work. We'll let you listen to it again, though, in a small while. Um, to see what you think with the soaring price of power and a soaring price of gas. See that case in the Midlands uh, yesterday, this woman with a restaurant in Athlone, Athlone is it, got a 10,000 euro ESB bill. Do you know, I mean, those fellas had grow houses down in West Cork weren't paying that much for the lecky back along the day. What the hell? It's costing that. It's going to put people out of business right, left and centre. The, the pub won't be able to cool your pint. It'll be too cold. It'll be too, too expensive to do it. We'll be sitting at home drinking warm cans because we won't be able to use the fridge. Won't be able to afford the cans either because they're minimum pricing. But anyway, we'll, we'll go back to that in a second. It's an interesting conversation. I see where Casey... Or Casey... Casey Perry. He should be so lucky. Casey Perry and Orlando Bloom were around town yesterday. I'll be talking later to somebody who actually got a picture taken with Orlando Bloom, who met him having coffee in the three pools and said it was the best coffee he'd ever tasted. That's a bit later on this morning. Also, um, I, 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 you know, I keep telling you, I'm well out of this forest of trying to sort my kids out with stuff. Trying to get swimming lessons for your smallies these days is a nightmare by all accounts. You can't get them for a lovely of money. We look into that. Fiona's been trying to get uh, swimming lessons for her youngsters and lots of other people. There's a waiting list of a year, two years. You know, the child will be making their confirmation before they get a chance to learn to swim. But however, did I rob your head? Yes, you did. I'm take sorry. them away. I'm sorry. Get rid of Take them away. <laughs> Big boy headphones. There you are now. We're squee. Ah, that's better now. We've grown up voice in my head now, not your little one. <laughs> All right. See, that's grand. You're, are, you, are you done? I'm done now. He gets four nominations and he can take over everybody's show. Do you know? <laughs> no, they're your bananas. You just robbed your own. <laughs> Thanks, Casey. 0818 96 96 96. The number to call the text to WhatsApp is 083 396 96 96. It's Wednesday morning, and I guess we should probably start with uh, the two local stories that dominated the news all day yesterday, both of which broke during the opinion line. One was a violent incident in Ballincollig where two people were attacked by a gang. And then, we, well, just as we were trying to find out more about that, we learned of a tragic story down near Ringeskiddy, a multi-vehicle crash involving a car 
and a vehicle transporter which led, as we learnt sadly later in the day, to the death of an elderly couple, JP or John Allen, who was 83, and his wife Berna. She was known as Berna to anybody who knew her. She was 82, both lifelong members of Raffine Creek Golf Club. A tragic story. And I think the, the area down there reeling from the deaths of two very popular people. Maureen Tuig, our 96M news reporters across the story. Maureen, good morning. Good morning, PJ. And as you said, they're reeling and just complete shock in the local community, you know, and, and local councillors expressing that shock at the, the deaths, as you say, as John and, and Berna Allen in, in that accident yesterday. Um, it happened, I suppose, just around 11am uh, yesterday morning. And Gary, they are looking for witnesses. So anyone who can aid in any way in their investigation to establish what happened here uh, would be, should contact Toker Garda Station or is the Garda Confidential Line or in fact any Garda station that uh, that you can share one information that you may have. So it happened, as you say, on the, the main Cork to Ringeskiddy Road, not far from the Shannon Park roundabout. And as you said there, it involved, you know, an articulated uh, transporter. So it was transporting cars and uh, a car and two other vehicles were, were also damaged in this incident. And um, a third motorist involved was taken to Cork University Hospital with injuries that the Gardaí said that they were not described as, as life-threatening. So we send them our, our best wishes as well and a, and a speedy recovery. Um, and from our understanding that uh, John and, and Berna's vehicle was travelling in the Ringeskiddy direction uh, when this collision occurred. And, you know, the emergency services were on the scene really quickly and they responded to this um, accident. And as we know from across the day yesterday, the road was closed for a number of hours and that was to facilitate the likes of the Garda Forensic yeah. Collision Investigators who were looking at the scene they were looking at all of the vehicles involved in this collision, as I say, to establish, you know, what happened here and, and to piece together, I suppose, the moments leading up to this collision and to understand what led to it um, and to this uh, tragic outcome. So I understand, you know, that there was prayers offered in the local community last night and, you know, people were coming together to to remember their dear friends and their mm-hmm. loved ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I lived in Carrigaline, as you know, Morid, for 10 years and anybody like the, the Allens locally would have been so well known to everybody. Uh, There'd have been people you'd nod at in the street, there'd have been people you'd salute. You might know their name, but you'd know them as a very popular local couple. So they would be devastated down there. And again, the details of what happened, we don't quite know. Speculation this morning in the examiner that um, John may have suffered some kind of medical crisis in the the moments before the crash. And I guess that'll only come out in time. What do we know more about what happened? And this story also breaking yesterday morning. It happened in Ballincollig. This was the second attack on the same house. That's it, exactly. And the examiner reporting that this morning, that it's been established now that it was the same house was the, the subject of an attack days earlier. So it's in Inishmore out in uh, in Ballincollig. And um, in this incident, there was two people um, injured, a man in his 60s and a woman in her mid-30s. They're known to each other and uh, they've they've been hospitalised. And hopefully when they're able and better or a little bit better, at least that they will be able to to talk to the Gardaí. And maybe they, like Gardaí are trying to determine a motive for this attack and they're investigating all of the circumstances. But I bet until they actually talk to the, the two victims mm. you know they might be able to, to shed light on exactly what happened here so it happened as I say in the Inishmore housing estate in 
Fallon colleague, and they want to see if the attack from a few days ago is connected to the latest incident. Um, it happened at around 1am uh, yesterday morning, and Gardaí and the emergency services, they were alerted because there was reports of an altercation and it involved a group of males. Now, it's understood that one of the males may have been armed with a machete, and uh, eyewitnesses there, you know, they, they said that a group of between three and maybe five men was involved in this. And uh, we understand that the man who's in his 60s uh, lives at the address and the woman in her 30s uh, lives nearby, but they have family connections to the mm. house and they were injured during this assault. Now, we understand they suffered lacerations, injuries, and they were taken to CUH and Gary have been conducting an examination and they're, they've launched an investigation. So again, in, in this incident, you know, anyone who has any information who would like to, to share it with Gary do that and you can do it by contacting uh, the guards in uh, Toker or you can contact the guard the confidential line or in fact again any guard station here uh, there's no arrests at the moment in this investigation and as I say they're waiting to talk to the victims to try and establish what exactly happened here Alright, all right. thank you for that uh, for summing up both of those stories the death of the Allens, John and Berna yesterday down in Ring of Skiddy in that horrific crash and in fact the what we saw happening yesterday and we don't get to boost this enough, was the emergency services literally piled in there and declared it a major emergency and cleared a path and cleared the traffic and did what they're really good at doing and we don't often give them credit for it. So well done to everybody involved in that. A tragic outcome, obviously, with the death of those two people, but an incredible job to get the place cleared and get the road open so that you could get access to the, the incident and whatever's going on out there in Inishmore Square and Ballancolic, I've no doubt we'll find out in the fullness of time. People thinking about this idea from the UK, I'll let you hear the audio here again now. This is the idea from the UK that one way to sort of counteract huge electricity bills is simply not to pay them. Now, I'm not endorsing this, but I'm just asking you to think about it and see what what you believe. Right. What, what is it you are asking people to do or not to do? Well, um, we've had 100,000 people pledge to cancel their direct debits on the 1st of October because we can no longer tolerate the aggressive price gouging that we've seen from energy companies. The past 12 years, and particularly the last two years, we've been told time and time again, tighten your belts, tighten your belts. And it's gotten to a point where... People cannot afford to pay. Okay, so if you're asking them not to pay, you're yep. also asking them to turn off their electricity and gas supplies? No, we're, we're asking people to ask their energy companies through their non-payment to have reasonable bills. That's a movement in the UK uh, where they want people to stop paying their bills and they've got 100,000 people, they say, signed up. Would you do it? Would it work here? Would you be asking for trouble by simply turning off your direct debit? You can turn off a direct debit anytime you want to the ESB, to the gas, to electricity, to anybody you want. You can turn it off. Just simply turn it off. That's an idea from the UK that one way of counteracting these enormous electricity. You see that woman in the Midlands yesterday for her shop, like nearly 10 grand of an electricity bill. And I'm seeing people posting up their bills, astonishing bills, just bearing in mind, these are summertime bills. Like I was looking at my summertime gas bill yesterday. And in the summer, we use very little gas. 
we'd just about cook with it. We obviously don't heat a pile of water. We'd, on my, my summertime gas bill yesterday, when I looked at it compared to last year, was up 60%. Now, it's 60% of a small bill. But if my winter bills start... And bearing in mind, I did a discount deal with bonkers. So I'm getting a discount anyway. And my bill has already gone up by 60% on last year. So if my winter bill goes up by 60%, I'd be scrabbling for pennies in January and February. It's it's very, very worrying. Your thoughts are welcome at 0818969696. Your text or WhatsApp or your voice messages to 0833969696. Now, yesterday, towards the end of the show, Joanne called me about Bob. I was speaking to her about Bob. Now, we've talked... To about Bob with Joanne a number of times. He's a 17-year-old lad. He's six feet. He's, he's a grown man practically now. And he's autistic and he doesn't communicate very well. And over lockdown, he regressed and he became disturbed. And he's he's now violent. Let's call a spade a spade. The man, the young lad is putting his head through windows. He, he put his head through the reinforced glass on the front door in the last couple of days and Joanne was just saying look, I have nothing for him I can't get any services no one will see him and then while I was talking to Joanne Cora rang me she has a boy the same age and she's worried about his behaviour and again nothing there now this is at the same time that Simon Coveney was saying we're going to be spending more money on supporting Ukraine in the war. And I finished up yesterday's programme. I was quite annoyed. I'm saying, Simon Coveney, here I have two women on the phone, two women with young sons who they're desperately worried about and there's no services for. None. And you're out there buying bullets to fight somebody else's war. Let's face it, that's what we're at. And then we got another call. Let you hear that next. 0818 96 96 96. All the stars on one show. This is Dara Lipa. Hi, this is Tiesto. Oh, this is Shane Khan. Hey, this is Becky Hill. Hey, it's me, Justin Bieber. This is Joe Corey. Hey, I'm Dermot Kennedy. The Hit Mix with Shane Bucks on your radio. Weeknights from 8 on Cork's 96 FM. Emma, you were listening yesterday to Joanne talking about Bob and to Cora talking about her boy, and it prompted you to call us. It actually did, yeah, it did. Um, I have an autistic son myself. Now, he is only three at the moment. Um, but since he's been about, I'd say, about 10 months old, I've noticed if he gets frustrated about something like teasing now for a big instance yeah. was it needed to a lot of self-injury and a lot of lashing out. Now, I came into this completely blind, knew nothing at all about autism. Um, and I just thought, oh, he's just been a child, he's been a baby, leave him alone. Um, it was actually only for my support worker. Um, Anthony was in the high chair one day and just started slapping his head off the high chair and he goes, Am I think we're looking at something bigger here. Um, and... As I said, I knew nothing about autism whatsoever. Um, and when he was diagnosed, it was there was just absolutely no help there. I was promised an OT. I was promised the world and still haven't received absolutely anything, not even speech and language. He's yeah. never said a word in his life. Yeah. He hasn't got mum. He hasn't got dad. He has absolutely nothing at all. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm just wondering, where is the help? There is no help. 
Yeah. You know, they could promise you the world, but you still end up with absolutely no questions answered. From, a ver- as I said, from 10 months old, he's been self-injuring. I have been to CUH, I'd say, 15 times in about six months. Um, from self-injuring, I mean, literally to the point that he would end up bleeding, bursting himself open. Um, it's, it's just absolutely crazy. And when you talk to the GP or anybody about the self-injuring, what do they say? Is there anything there to look in deeper into why that's happening? No, it's just it's just the way he is. When he gets frustrated, that's what he does. I've been to my GP. I have been to every specialist I could go to. I have been to every single person on his disability network team. And all I get is, if he doesn't pass out and if he doesn't vomit, leave him alone. What? Yeah, that's all. That's the only answer that I ever get. If he doesn't pass out, if he doesn't lose consciousness, doesn't get drowsy or very lethargic or vomit, leave him alone, leave him do it. Basically, is what I'm being told. May I ask, Emma, is he drawing blood? Like, is he damaging? Is he bruising himself? Oh, like I said a while ago, like, if he gets upset about something, like he got upset about itching his head two weeks ago, I don't know what it was, he was just itching his head, went over to the corner of my kitchen table and burst his forehead open. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I'm at a point, who do I ring? I'm going to get the same answer. He didn't pass out, he didn't vomit. There is no help there. (sighs) It's it's crazy. Like, a three-year-old shouldn't know how to go over and injure himself. Do you know what I mean? It's just, I suppose, his way of dealing with the frustration he's under. And there's never a cry, there's never a whimper. So it's just basically well, what, I, what I was told by South Dock anyway, going back about a month ago, um, was just 24 to 48 hour observation. If he takes a bad turn, take him to CUH. That's, I'd say that's the best answer I've got. Now, he is a bit young, I think, for things like cams and stuff, but someone needs to help here, I would have thought. So oh, he's walking over to the kitchen table and splitting his head open. Yeah, and I've been to CUH multiple times. I, I, I can't count on two hands how many times I've been over there. Um, and I've never came out with a different answer. Take him home, watch him for two days, he'll be fine. How are you dealing with all this? See, I have another three kids as well, PJ, so it, it does get very, very, very frustrating, not for me, but for him, because I, like, I can't give him 24-hour care, so that's where his dad comes in. Mm. And his dad is a full-time mechanic, so it's just more when his dad can do it. Even at that, it's just so hard for him. Um, and the other three kids, he lashes out on them. He has really hurt them. Um, he has really hurt my mum, my dad. He's really hurt his own dad. He headbutts me. He burst my lip and cracked two of my teeth there going back last week because he was annoyed about something. Oh, my God. Um, and my fear is he's just getting stronger and stronger every single day. He's getting bigger every day. He is eventually going to really, really badly hurt himself or someone else. I do not know what to say to you, Emma. And, and I'm sure you're blue in the face from asking, well, well, why is he doing this? I, I, I don't know. God, that is the million dollar question that I've been asking for the last, I'd say, two years of that little boy's life. Since he was 10 months old, I've been asking that question to everyone. And now my support worker is a really good, um, he's really good at answering the questions that he can answer. Who provides the support worker? Uh, springboard. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um. He's he's a diamond, yeah. diamond to me and my children. Like he would go above and beyond. But there's only so much that he can do an answer to. 
Um, so I did ask him that question. I asked a lot of different professionals and all I keep getting is maybe that's the way he deals with his frustration. Um, and I have got no other different answer than that one. It's crazy. It's crazy. And this school situation is just absolutely horrifying. My God, it's... I'm after ringing every school in Cork. I'm actually after resorting to Limerick, to Kanturk, to Mallow. I'm after resorting to everywhere and there's only one school we take him and it's an hour and a half drive. Like, it's grand them saying that, but especially needs child in the back of a car for an hour and a half. There and back. Yeah, so it's three hours driving, three hours in a whole new place. It's just, it's absolutely crazy, like... You must be frightened of what he'll do when he gets Not to anybody, well, to everybody else. Yeah, he does lash out and he does hurt people, but it's more of what he's going to do to himself. Yeah. Yeah. I just have that feeling the first week of that school, I'm going to get a phone call saying that the child is split. I just, that's one of my fears now, all right, yeah. How do you hold up? To be honest, if I'm not strong, how are my kids going to be strong? Like, you know... I've always been like that and everyone sees that about me. I do hold myself up. I do hold myself strong because I'm their person, especially Anthony's. I'm his person. So if I fall, he's going to fall. If I crumble, he's going to crumble. I need, like, I all I need to do is think I need the strength to fight for him, you know? Um, and it's just... Right. Fair enough, there's only so much strength you can have, but all I think about every day is do not crumble because if you do, he's going to crumble with you. Emma, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you very much. And I, all I can do, one parent to another, is wish you luck. Thank you very much. What can you say except good luck with what you're trying to deal with? That's Emma talking to us yesterday after I'd spoken to <coughs> Joanne and uh, to Cora. 0818 96 96 96. These are real world stuff. You know, you can talk about... Whatever you want, <clears throat> but this is real world stuff right here on our doorstep. And as I said yesterday, we are, we're doing, we have done more than enough. We have done plenty. And rightly so for the people of Ukraine who've come to us seeking help and shelter and assistance. We've done loads for them and we spent loads of money doing it. And you know what? I don't begrudge a penny of it to anybody. But we need to look after Emma, and we need to look after Cora, and we need to look after uh, Joanne and their kids, and the dozens of other parents who, who've called me here with all sorts of problems. Trisha was on to say, does anyone know how I book a wheelchair onto a Ryanair flight? I can't find the assistance request booking thingy. It's normally on the app. It's our own wheelchair. I think, Tricia, from experience of a friend of mine, with regard to booking Ryanair, you're probably better to go onto their website on an actual computer, like a laptop or a desktop, You have, if you have such a thing. The, the app for the phone can be a bit awkward to get around. I know this because when we were going away on our holidays ourselves during the summer, you can book food in advance and it's served to you on the plane. Now, I know it's a completely different thing, but I found it so much easier to do that on an actual computer than to try and fiddle around with a phone. 
So maybe you try that. Maybe maybe try that. Because I know they're very good. One thing Ryanair have a good reputation for is, is sorting you out with regard to wheelchairs if you book everything up properly in advance. So try that. Try using the actual website rather than just the phone. 0818969696. The Premier League live back this weekend at 96fm.ie with Trevor Welsh. Saturday from midday, powered by TalkSport. Big, big matches this weekend. Everton v Liverpool, the Merseyside Derby, that's at half 12. Spurs against Fulham at three. And Aston Villa versus Manchester City, half past five. The Premier League Live Online is with Harvey Norman, your home of the big screen. You're listening Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. Um, oh yeah, sorry, I, I have so much stuff to get through. I'm jumping around from topic to topic, as you know. Or as you can hear, Cork County Council. This is from Dinny. Hello, Dinny. Cork County Council have 11 million euro left in their budget. So before they return it, could they please put a water tap on the top wall of St. Catherine's Cemetery in Kilcully so that the elderly and disabled can't, don't have to do a 15-minute round trip to the only water tap in the cemetery, which is on the bottom wall. And that's from Diddy. I wasn't aware of that problem. I mean, Catherine's is huge. St. Catherine's is enormous. And of course, if you want water to water flowers or whatever, you let you get a tap of water or, or whatever. So Dini's wondering if the council could possibly put in a second tap. Would it break them to go, into, to go over to Woody's and buy a tap and get a plumber to put it on the wall? Would that be okay? Please, Mr. Council. Thank you, says Dinny. Might get a Katy Perry song squashed in at some time this morning. She was around town yesterday, we're told. She got off a boat. That was a Norwegian a cruise liner. She got off a cruise liner in Cove, uh, having had the honour of naming it in Iceland. And then she got it to Cove, did a gig on board. And then she wandered around town for the day, as you do, as you do. And Orlando Bloom, of course, was there too. And they went for coffee. He went for coffee in the Three Fools. We might get a Katy Perry song in at some stage during the morning. Did you happen to see either of them around town yesterday? Do let us know at 0818. 96, 96, 96. And that's also for anything else that's on your mind. I'm going to keep that little talking point open for a bit. Uh, lots of comments coming in, lots of responses to it. This is this British group. Uh, Casey and Ross were highlighting it this morning on the show and then passed it on to us to see what you thought. So with the electricity bills and gas bills soaring and continuing to soar and being, being we're being warned like it's only up they're going to go. This British group, I'll play the audio again for you later on. This British group have said, get 100,000 people together and stop your direct debits. Just get out of the bank and stop your direct debits and that will force the companies to think again. Now, we were talking to Dara from bonkers.ie earlier in the week and he was making the point that, look, the reality of it is that the people who sell us our electricity here are not the ones making it. So the cost that's been reflected to us is, is very much the cost they're paying to get a supply to sell to us. But at the same time, you had that poor woman in Athlone yesterday getting a bill for nine grand for the summer months, which is just, it's just bonkers altogether. 0818-969696 on the subject of people like Cora and Emma and Joanne and their kids. I've been saying it for years, it's politics before people. In a couple of months' time, the Ukraine will be taking people from Ireland in as refugees. 
It's time to hit the reset button on this place. Like I said, I don't begrudge a single penny spent on the refugees. We had to do it. We had to help them. They're coming from a desperate situation. But the point I was making was, have we now come to a point in time where we've actually done more for a country our size than than we can handle? And we should say, look, okay, that's it. We've done what we can do. Now, Joanne, what do you need? Emma, what do you need? Cora, what do you need? Is that ever going to happen? Rather than spending all this money... The Irish government don't care about us Irish, says this message. All they care about is looking good and doing as they're told by the big boys in Europe. It's time the Irish rose up and took back the country. Well, the last line is a bit strong, but I, yeah, there, there, many people now, many people feeling that way. 0818 96 96 96 on the three mammies we've been talking to. Liam says, where's the Minister for Health? The Taoiseach is one of our own. They should all be helping her. Speaking of leaders, story broke last evening. It's all over your newspapers this morning. There's plenty to read about him. Plenty to read about him if you want to. Mikhail Gorbachev. Uh, He was the last leader of the Soviet Union. And he died yesterday at the age of 91. And there's pages and pages and pages in all your newspapers. And there'll be documentaries and recaps of his life and his work and his career and his politics and what he did and what he didn't do. That'll be all over the media for the next day or two. And he was a world leader. And I remember when he was in charge of the Soviet Union, he brought about massive change. Massive, massive change. He was awarded at one point the Freedom of Dublin. That's how well got he was here. But he got one thing more than that. He was awarded the Freedom of Dublin. But they did one thing more for him. And I was amazed the number of people who'd forgotten this overnight. We named a nightclub after him in Cork. Yes, we did. Where else did they get the name for Gorby's? That's what he was known as. The newspapers called him Gorby at the time. So we had a nightclub... From that area, era, we had, it's where voodoo is and pop scene and all those is now, we had Gorby's. Named after Mikhail. I don't think he ever popped in for a pint, but he had a nightclub named after him in Cork. I bet you didn't know that, or I bet you'd forgotten that. All the stars on one show. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is George Ezra. What's up, y'all? I'm Beyonce. Hi, this is Harry Styles. Hi, I'm Lizzo. Hi, Ed Sheeran here. The Hit Mix with Shane Bucks on your radio. Weeknights from 8 on Cork's 96FM. We've had a few messages in from people who want to help Emma, and we've passed those details on to her, which, which is great. You're, you're, you're wonderfully kind people. 0818969696. Katy Perry was seen... And Orlando Bloom, all of Plunker Street. Katie was in in Guineas, and Orlando. me. Orlando Bloom popped into McQuillan's, the tool shop. Really, and he was chatting with Derek and the lads in McQuillan's. There you go now. If they're listening to us in McQuillan's, what was he like? Did he buy anything? Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now I, I trying to get swimming lessons for children in uh, 2022 is very, very difficult. And my kids are thankfully out of that scene now. 
I think it's an awful lot harder to have children now than it was when I had Swallies, which is a few years ago now. But trying to get something like swimming lessons for them. John Dolan was writing about it in the Echo because it's based on very personal experience. John, you're struggling. Is it a six-year-old you have trying to get swimming lessons? Good morning. Uh, morning, PJ. Yeah, that's right. Um, I'd actually heard that there, w- there was an issue with, um, with, with anecdotally, people were saying to me, yeah, there's huge queues and there's backlogs because of COVID. Obviously, there's been a couple of years when no children have learned to swim at all. So there's a huge backlog of, of kids now. And uh, yeah, I, I phoned around virtually every swimming pool in, in the city and county, public and private there last week. And yeah, it's it's as bad as the people are saying. It's really difficult to get your kids in. And there's the talk of three-year queues, you know, out in the county, 500 people on a, on a rotor waiting for texts. I'm sure that's in the thousands in, in the in the city pools as well, PJ. So yeah, it's a real problem at the moment, I'm afraid. You know, someone who was queuing up outside the pool in, in um, Cove, in the last few days as well and you were making the point John and quite rightly so you've got to get the kids into the pool young to get them to learn yeah, this, that most incredible skill, the basic skill. This is the important thing, isn't it, PJ? I mean, we know I, we, we've had three kids that have been taught swimming, and um, and now, now it's our youngest two six. We, we were trying to phone around, and we just didn't have any joy. But yeah, th- there's a window. The, the, the experts say obviously it depends on the child, but maybe from the age of four to the age of five or six, that is the really good window when a child is, is like a sponge, if you like. They, they'll they'll really learn to swim well, and it will it will see them for the rest of the life. You know, they'll go back to the pool, they'll exercise, they'll teach their own kids you know they'll be much safer in the water in the sea i mean we're, a, we're an island nation and we have a pretty poor record in terms of um you know people who can actually swim in this country unfortunately so it's a small window and once that window's gone which i'm afraid it will be for thousands of children in cork then yeah yeah it becomes very difficult as they get older then they become body conscious they don't want to learn among younger kids you know it's it just passing them by unfortunately. We, and we have a lot of swimming pools no many of them are private we have a lot of pools but not a lot of instruction doctors and not, not, not a lot of lessons. Yeah. You've hit the nail on the head. And the other problem, which is endemic around, uh, you know, the economy at the moment, lack of staff, you know. But I, I got onto city council and county council about this, as well as various government departments and Swim Island and people. And uh, yeah, the, the, the big issue that they have, as well as the backlogs they're trying to control and deal with, is that they don't have enough people to teach their swimming. So the, the staffing crisis, which we see around us all the time, is, is very much visible there. And that's adding to this problem as well. It's a huge, you know, it, it really is, you know, the, the, the queues are so big because of those two problems together. Now, strangely, people will look at you and go, well, why don't you teach your own children to swim? That's actually not the best idea or advice you were ever given. I mean, you're obviously a, a decent swimmer, John, but you have to start with your, with your kids. I think you have to put them into the hands of an expert, even if it's only for a couple yeah. of hours. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I could, yeah, I guess I could try and teach one of, you know, my, my six-year-old daughter to swim, but I wouldn't know where to start. You know, I, 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 from, you know, I could easily fail. It can take, you can, you know, it can take maybe 10, 20, 30 hours of lessons for the child to be able to swim unaided competently and be confident. Um, and yeah, it, it's an expert skill. You know, people need to, to learn and study and know how to deal with kids on every level. So yeah, I, I'd be very worried about being competent to do that with my child for sure. Well, yeah. My, my, my dad. God rest him. Was a powerful swimmer. I mean, he was as strong a swimmer mm. as any as any lifeguard you you, you care to choose at at the time. But when I was mm. learning to swim, he insisted. A woman called the great Mrs. Campion took me on for lessons because he said she needs to teach you how to behave yourself, how to deal with yourself in the water. Then he taught me yeah. the rest. 
Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Did you know, you reminded me of my, when I was in Smalley over in England, that there was a, a guy who used to teach and a, and a woman who used to teach, and the guy was horrendous. He would drive kids to tears. He was so strict and, and unpleasant. And I just remember being on the bus with my mum thinking, oh, I hope it's the woman this week, you know, desperately hoping it wasn't yeah. this really strict, you know, uh, guy who, but yeah, but obviously, you know, the, the, there's a great skill to it. It's not just the, the, the technical aspects. It's also being able to deal with kids on a confidence level and to make sure that they come out competent swimmers you know um and and this is the issue we're going to have i i fear that even even now i think something like nearly a quarter of irish people uh, are unable to swim unaided and that's one of the the, the, the lowest levels you know in, in the whole of europe what i can see um and the, my concern is that we're going to have thousands more in a few years time we're just going to miss this small window because of the backlogs it's it's because of covid obviously and because of the staffing crisis yeah all right john thanks for that john dolan been writing about that in the Oh, wait, 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 by the way, stay there, stay there. Uh, Holly Bow, you're the editor. <laughs> Holly Bow. You must be That's busy right, at the moment. <laughs> I, very much so, PJ. Yeah, because two months today we print. We print on Halloween, you know, around about the, the jazz weekend, uh, which is which is back this year physically as well, which is great. So yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's very much a work in progress, PJ. I don't want to I don't want to use the c word now with all your listeners. I'm sure. I'm well, sure well, they're, they're just trying to. <laughs> I'll use it, John. I'll use it because they're used to me. It's 115 <laughs> days to Christmas, and you. Yeah, oh my word. Yeah, and you usually <laughs> you usually bring the holly bow out in the first weekend in November, don't you? That's right. Yeah, that's when it hits the streets. Yeah, it prints, yeah. It prints so, for a few days and, and then it hits the streets. So, about, yeah, 60, uh, about 64 or 65 days away to the Holly Bell now. That's right, yeah, and it's a big year this year, PJ, because it's the 125th anniversary of the Hollybow, uh, well, 1897, so yeah, it's, it's going to be a, a big important one this year. People can make a mental note of it for, the, for now, I'd say. Look forward to chatting <laughs> to you about it at the time. John Dolan, the Echo, editor of the Cork Hollybow. We're talking about trying to get swimming lessons for kids, and I'm seeing a lot of it. People having difficulty getting lessons for their children, and we're not short of pools. We're going through this morning just how many pools there are out there. Obviously, all the leisure centres have their own pool and it's private and you can get lessons there sometimes and sometimes not. We've the public pools. We've more open-air pools than you would think about. There's an, an open-air pool in Middleton in the school down there. There's an open-air pool in Carrignavar. There's an open-air pool up there near the near the top of the Coombe, just up there in the Gentuck area. There's a beautiful open-air open pool up there. But do they have lessons uh, any anyone have success getting swimming lessons? Is there anyone listening to us who's a swimming teacher who has vacancies for the upcoming year for youngsters? Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Oh, I'm sorry, another one on swimming pools. I read this yesterday. I was fascinated by it. in France. The revenue commissioners are having a heyday because they've discovered that there are loads of swimming pools that have not been registered with the revenue. What? Yeah, in front, of course, parts of France, weather is good enough for your own pool. If you have your own swimming pool, if it's any kind of a permanent structure at all, if you have your own swimming pool in France, you have to pay tax on it, additional taxes. You're obviously wealthy enough to own a pool. They've discovered the revenue commissioners in France, or whatever they call themselves, that there are hundreds and hundreds of pools that have not been formally declared for tax purposes in private houses. And they're having a field day, rubbing their hands together in glee 
We have lots of input from people on this idea that they're coming out in the UK now that people just stop paying their electricity bills, cut off their direct debits. The, the Casey and Ross were talking about this this morning on breakfast. They passed on the audio to us if you had to have a listen and maybe get your thoughts on it. And lots of thoughts coming in, and I'll come to them after 10. Some people are saying, look, it's a good idea. Others going, nah, it's crazy. We'll balance it out after the news. But here's what people are saying in the UK uh, about it. What we, they, they think we should do. Right. What, what is it you are asking people to do or not to do? Well, um, we've had 100,000 people pledge to cancel their direct debits on the 1st of October because we can no longer tolerate the aggressive price gouging that we've seen from energy companies. The past 12 years, and particularly the last two years, we've been told time and time again, tighten your belts, tighten your belts. And it's gotten to a point where people cannot afford to pay. So if you're asking them not to pay, you're yep. also asking them to turn off their electricity and gas supplies? No, we're, we're asking people to ask their energy companies through their non-payment to have reasonable bills. Will it work? Would you do it? Would you take a chance? That's no pay UK. Do you think it's a good idea or do you think it's utterly stupid? Your thoughts after 10. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96FM. The Cycle Against Suicide spin-off Cork takes place on Saturday the 3rd of September. Starting and finishing at the Marina Market, the Cycle aims to raise mental health awareness in advance of World Suicide Prevention Day on September 10th. The Cork spin-off is a fun, family-friendly event for every age, fitness level and cycling ability. For more more information and to register, check out cycleagainstsuicide.com. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie. The Cork Diary. With Tusla Fostering, now seeking foster carers from a diverse range of backgrounds in Cork. See fostering.ie. On Cork's 96fm. <laughs> The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 9696 the app. My advice was go on to an actual laptop or computer so you can do it there because the website's a bit more readable on a, a laptop or a bigger screen but Eleanor came back with another suggestion which is a good one that lady should ring wheelchair assist, a Dublin number 0158 25933 have always helped me and I have been travelling for years Thanks for that, Eleanor. I mentioned that thing in France where they had found the revenue commissioners over there were having a field day because they had found hundreds and hundreds of unregistered swimming pools where the owner of the pool hadn't told or hadn't declared it for tax purposes because there's a tax on swimming pools in France. If you have a private swimming pool in the back garden, it's reflected in your taxes. They found them, and John O'Donovan reminds me, thanks, John, I'd forgotten that bit. They found them on Google Maps. 
Now, Google, the Google map machine herself was telling me, Queen Bee was telling me in the last few days she was out for a walk with the dog and what did she see going around the corner? Only the Google map van. So they are watching it. But they found all these swimming pools in France through Google Maps. And uh, John said, that does seem a bit like an invasion of privacy, doesn't it? Big Brother really is watching you. It's a point. You might agree, you might not. 0818969696. Um, look, the price of everything is going up and up and up. And I'll come back to your thoughts there on the British idea of just not paying. I, I don't think that's going to fly. I don't think enough people would do it. I think people would be fearful of the implication, plus the fact that they always get their money in the end. These people always get their money in the end, no matter what you try to do to avoid paying it to them. That would be my own thoughts. If you have different, then you're certainly welcome to uh, argue with me or discuss it with me at 0818969696. But the cost of dating, you what? Yes, well, the cost of living is affecting dating according to a new survey carried out by Bumble. Bumble is a dating app for women. And they have been looking into the effect of the cost of living on dating. And it's a question before I go to Dr. Caroline West to talk about this. How early in your dating relationship does your earning come up? So you meet someone for a drink for the first time or a coffee or whatever, and that's where the date starts. At what point do you bring up how much you make, how much you're worth? Is it the first date? Is it the second date? Is it something that doesn't come up until way far down the line? It's just he has money or she has money. And when you have money, you pay. And when Does what you earn make for a living, do for a living? How early in the relationship does it come up? It's very important to younger people, I think, according to Bumble. It's very important to Gen Z and very popular to, with millennials to, to find out how much is the person I'm dating actually worth or how much are they earning. Dr. Caroline West is a relationship expert with, with Bumble. That's my reading of it, Caroline, that young, earlier and earlier now in the dating game, people want to, want to know how much you earn. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, I think it's it's a huge change because if you remember older generations, you did not talk about money. You know, that was considered to be really rude and just a very awkward kind of subject. So I think it's nice now to see that younger generations have a healthier approach to money because that impacts them, the kind of decisions they make. So you don't have to, you know, produce a pay slip on the first date or anything like that. But, you know, if you're if you're seeing a long term future with someone then talking about the kind of lifestyle that you're going to have, I think is really important to see if you are, you know, compatible with them. Mm. So if what's important to you is flying off to Paris every weekend, you know, like you're going to need someone who matches that, that lifestyle aspiration and stuff. And, you know, we have different ways of living. So I think it's important that that communication is there. Yeah. But is at the very early stages. I mean, isn't that after you get to know the person a bit and you get to see is there actual relationship there? Yeah, I, th- I think it differs versus what you're actually looking for. So if you're just looking for a quick hookup or something casual, then I don't think it's as important. But if you're looking for something long term, you know, there's no point in kind of getting into something. And then three months down the line, you discover actually we're not really compatible in our, you know, in our lifestyle goals or just, you know, our work life balance. 
months or anything like that. So then, you know, you're you're not necessarily wasted three months, but you know, it's it's not someone that maybe will have that long term future with. So it's kind of good to get that when you kind of start feeling that okay, there may be something here have that conversation then and like you know it's not necessarily oh I only need to go out with someone who's earning a hundred grand you know like different people have different um values and different lifestyles they want and actually you know a lot of the research from Bumble found actually that it's not necessarily the money as such it's the work-life balance as well so if someone's you know in the office nine to nine you know you're hardly going to see them so it might they might have loads of money but you'd never see them so you know it's all about what I suppose what you're looking for and that's Mm. great that people are actually saying hey this is what I want in my relationship yeah people are putting themselves first Mm, absolutely and I think it's great you know and it doesn't have to necessarily mean that you know you're incompatible but it's you know you want your partner to enjoy what they do so that's 80% of people in Ireland said that that's really important to them so that's great but again if you know if you have that inequality in your income so say someone's on a really low income someone's on a really high income then if you're seeing a future with that person you have to have a conversation about well how will we split bills how will we date you know are we going to Paris for the weekend and one person can't afford that and the other person that that's nothing to them so you, you know you do have to have those conversations and you know there's no need to feel awkward about it as such you know I know money we haven't been great about talking about money in Ireland Everyone but you know it is a new age yeah, yeah. yeah it's great to see those new younger generations changing that 80 percent of people I see here say it's more important to them that their partner enjoys what they do for a living rather than having an impressive job title yeah, I think that's really good. You know, like we all come home from work and have a bit of a moan about how our day is gone and stuff. But if you're just so stressed and anxious and just miserable at work, that'll carry over into your personal life as well. So, you know, you want people to to be fulfilled. And there's so many great options out there for different careers now that, you know, it's great that people do have that kind of choice. And it does leak into your dating life as well. You know, you don't want to go on a date with someone and listen to them moan about their job all the time. You know, you want them to be fulfilled and happy. We talk in a minute about what people are doing on on first dates because that's changed given the, the cost of living. But is there a different approach? We talk about how younger people now are getting into that financial discussion earlier on to set up the relationship and set themselves up and see is this where I want to be is it different for men and women do you think I think so. Yeah. I, I mean, it would have been viewed as, you know, pretty, pretty awful for a woman to talk about her money. It would have been considered kind of vulgar um, back in the day. But I think that's kind of changed now as well. You know, it takes women maybe a little bit longer sometimes to open up when they're in a serious relationship. Um, and that's kind of lower for men. You know, men are kind of a bit more open about it. But that's, you know, based on our history where women weren't even allowed to work, you know, for yes, in yes. Irish society yes, for yes. a long time. Or, it's not good or not safe or not desirable to be financially dependent on a partner either, you know, which is, which is important. Yeah. On, the, on, the, on, the, on the first dates people are taking, Caroline, that's changed. It has, and I think it's, it's for the better. So before in our society, your date was going to the pub. You know, that was pretty much your only option a lot of the time. And I think it's great now people are doing sober dating. And Bumble actually found that people are getting a lot more adventurous, which is fantastic. So they're going out for walks. They're going out for picnics. They're doing active dates. And that's a great way to actually filter people through. So if someone asked me to go for a run for a first date, I'd be running the opposite direction. Like, that's not my thing at all. 
But if they asked me to go for a sea swim, I'd kind of go, Do you know what? Yeah, that kind of sounds like fun. It's a bit of adventure. I like that. Um, and this person has shown me that they're creative and exciting and, you know, maybe there might be something there. So I think it's all about, you know, finding what works for you. You might not be a hiker, but you might be able to go, I know how to make a great sandwich and bring along to a picnic. Yeah. So things like that. And I think it's really great to be able to just be more creative because if you're just going to the same old bar, you know, it can get a little bit boring, especially if you're dating a lot. You know, you want to kind of mix it up a little bit. Also, people are offering to cook for the other person as, as a date rather than go to an expensive restaurant. That's a trend that, that that's new, I think. Yeah, I think that's great. It's a great way to learn how someone copes under pressure as well because we all know how hard it is to cook sometimes at home and, you know, we're worried about things burning and you're trying to entertain the person. You're like, oh my gosh, this can be a, a bit of a disaster. But I think it's really, it's a really kind of intimate way without, you know, the waiter coming over every five minutes kind of interrupting you. Now, I would say not necessarily to do that straight away. I'd wait to, you know, get to know the person a little bit more and see if you trust them. But I think it can be nice and intimate and a little bit more relaxed rather than, oh, okay, we've to eat our dinner and get out of this restaurant in an hour and a half. And then where do we go and things like that? I think it's just a nice, relaxed way of doing it. And there's something really intimate about cooking for someone. Yeah. Do you know when you do go out for dinner, it was always the way, and I'm talking about man and woman dating here, obviously, you know, men and men date and women and women date, but just the only kind of dating I know is man and woman. Like, it was always the way that the man paid, particularly for the first couple of dates. The man always paid. Then you talk about splitting it. Is, Is that changing? It is, yeah. And if you see, do you ever watch First Dates and you see that's always the key point of the night of like, you know, the argument over who pays. And I think it's really changing. A lot of Gen Z people are saying, you know, let's just be equal. You know, like we, we're both here, we'll split the bill and it's no big deal. It's fine. Like sometimes it's a bit of a power struggle, isn't it? Like, oh, I'll pay, you know, I'll pay, I'll pay. And, you know, you're there kind of arguing over credit cards and stuff like that. But mm. I think it's really nice that like, people are a little bit more open you know you're both there you're both eating you know split the bill and then it's equal but then if you're if you know if you are getting into that serious relationship and you know the person you're dating earns so much more money than you well maybe is that a conversation to have about maybe they pay more or do you pay more do you take turns and that's going to vary for everyone so the important thing there is that communication of here's what I'd like here's what I think is fair can we meet in the middle? Because, you know, we all have to compromise in lovely, healthy relationships. Yeah. So that's a great way to kind of see how they are about that kind of compromise. Yeah. Well, I, well, I used to think about the man always paying. And we look, very early in our relationship, we began to split things because we were together for, I know my wife now since then, I better get this right. God knows yeah. how long. <laughs> we've been married for 20, yeah. 28 a years while. now. 28 <laughs> years we've been married now. So okay. we, we know each other quite a long time. But very early in our relationship, we were both contributing to going out for a night. We both save up our pennies and, and go out for a night. We both contributed that way. But if one of us had a birthday or whatever, then we treat the other kind of thing. I wonder, is that changing? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, I mean, it depends. I mean, I'm sure you had a conversation with your wife of like, you know, this is how we're going to do that. And that's great, you know, because what you did there is establish a lovely, healthy relationship. And that's fab. And then so if it works, if it's different for someone else and they say, look, you know, you are more than me. Can you pay three quarters of, of our date nights out and stuff? And the other person can decide 
well, I like that or I don't like that, you know, and, and it really is that sense of because all relationships are going to have some stumbling blocks down the line, you know, like stuff is going to pop up or we're going to have different viewpoints on things. And it's all about how we compromise, because if we can't compromise then the relationship is it's kind of doomed a little bit because, you know, you're two different people with different value sets, different earnings, different jobs, all those kind of things. And they're all going to impact how you interact with each other. So if you're able to handle any kind of differences like that, it's a really good sign that you have a really good foundation. And then everything else kind of helps fall into place, I suppose, after that. We've been saying in our house, it all goes into the one pot at the end of the day. We've been doing that for a very long time. And I think that, I think it's helpful. I'd, 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 I imagine it must be because we're married for 28 years, but it does. It does. Things have <laughs> changed, corrected. Caroline, but you know, the, value, the values are still the same. People just want to meet the right person in the right place at the right time. Thanks ever so much to you. That's Dr. Caroline West. She's a relationship expert with Bumba. Just throws a question out there. On the first date, who pays? And who paid on your first date? Going back along. Did you ever row over money? And does what your potential date earns matter. So you see this, you know, your eyes meet across a crowded table. Although, that's going to be illegal down in Australia. Your eyes meet across a crowded room and they ask you out. Do you want to know what they earn before you go out with them? I wouldn't like that in anybody. If I asked a person out and they wanted to know what I earned before they said yes or no, I don't think I'd like that very much. 0818 96 96 96. Who pays on the first date, though? Because times have changed. The man always paid on the first date. Have times changed? There's a question. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 83 96 On Quartz 96 FM. Yeah, I come back to what you're saying about paying bills or not paying bills as the cost of living goes further and further through the roof. I'll get to them, I promise, before we finish up this hour. But ask yourself a question. <clears throat> are you a perfectionist? If I asked you, are you a perfectionist? I think most people would say, yes, oh, I like to have everything done properly. I like to make sure my job is prepared for the day. I like to make sure that, that, you know, I know what's going to happen. Are you a perfectionist? And if you are a perfectionist, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And most people would say, well, of course it's a good thing. He's a perfectionist. She's a perfectionist. She'd get one step. Mightn't be the greatest thing of all time. Linda O'Connell is Network Cork Businesswoman of the Year. Linda, are you a perfectionist? Good morning. Oh, God, I absolutely am, PJ. Oh, you are? <laughs> I am. Oh, my God, yeah. There is a, a psychological report does done recently said there are three or four different types of perfectionists. Mm. Mm. There are those who need to be perfect to, to fit others' expectations. Then those yep. who hold others to very high account, so they want perfection from everybody else. Which are you? Um, so the three types, um, now I hate labels, right, but um, they do help sometimes in, in navigating life, I suppose. Um, and uh, for me, I would have always been very anti-labels, but I, on my mental health uh, journey, I suppose that has been most of my life. And these sometimes do help me understand who I am. So you've self-orientated perfectionism. So it's where you hi- hold yourself to very, very high standards. 
And then you've socially prescribed perfectionism, which is where you still hold yourself to very high standards because you think others expect it of you. And then the last one is other orientated, where you hold others to high standards. So I don't think I'm the latter, but I think I'm a combination of yeah. the first two. The, yeah, um, the, the, you hold yourself to a very high level of, of perfection, for want of a better word, because you think others expect that of you. That not that people-pleasing in a way? It is, but I mean, that, that report, I think, yeah, it was, it was very informative and stuff, but I think there's so much more that goes on behind it all um, because I know we have all these kind of cliched words and I sometimes feel like I'm, um, if anybody saw me, I'm like a, a bag of Scrabble um, letters because I do think that perfectionism is very strongly linked in many cases to um Imposter syndrome, which was something that was only new in my vocabulary in the last six years. I was part of um, a TED talk in a group and my partner actually selected this particular topic. And it literally just described who I was from the time I was five. Yeah. Remind us again what Uh, imposter syndrome is, because it's amazing since people started using that term and defining it. It's like the cool word. (laughs) Yeah, but since, since everyone started using that term and defining it, more and more people have come out and said, actually, that describes me yeah. to a T. What is it? It's um, huge self-doubt in your own capability um, and, you know, constantly feeling like you're a fraud and you're winging it. And I know I mentioned it too at the time when the awards came up. I went back to college in 2018 because in my job with SVP, I was self-taught and I just was always afraid of being found out. And I did the exact same when I did my degree in UCC in zoology because I'd never done science. I just thought, how did I actually manage to get through college and not be found out? And again, I will bring that all the way back to primary school where there's just this constant, I'm not good enough, you know, and people don't know what's really going on inside of me. And if they found out, they'd know that, like, you know, a bluffer, I suppose, um, is what goes on in my head. People would ask you, like, how's the job going? I'm still getting away with it. They haven't found me out yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even though you're hearing from all other people who are saying, look, you're doing really, really well, um, you don't believe it yourself, you know. And I think that's the thing with, say, imposter syndrome or being a perfectionist is... For me personally, anyway, I don't revel in the accomplishments, so I'm not orientated career-wise. And I know you you mentioned at the very beginning, is it good or bad? Yeah, there's, there are pros, and the pros can be that you do learn from your experiences, but I don't learn at a psychological, emotional level because I've still put myself in the same panic state yeah. each time and not have learned at that kind of cognitive level that this is the same thing I'm doing all the time. I'm 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 up to night, I'm anxious, I can't sleep because yeah. I'm worrying I yeah. won't be good enough. Yeah. Does it does it make you hard on yourself? Extremely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and and I guess you brought people around you going you you said to someone like it might be a partner or a friend God, I'm really nervous about this presentation. I, I, I'm bricking it. And they said, so you've done it a hundred times. It's second nature to mm, you. Mm. And you know they're it's, right, yeah. but you're still bricking it. Yeah, in your head rationally. I, I understand it in my head rationally. And it's a bit like, I suppose, as I said, I've been on a very long mental health journey and I would have suffered horrendous panic attacks. And it's like thinking this is the panic attack that's going to kill me. You know, it's the exact same transferred over to, oh, my God, I'm actually going to fail at this project and it's not going to be good enough. And when it does, when you do accomplish it, you don't kind of sit and go, 
I actually completed, I actually did well, you don't, you move on to the next thing that you're not able to accomplish. It's very strange and I, I'm, in, I'm very aware of it at a, at a rational and cognitive level, but it's like as if it's nearly part of your personality. And I don't mean that you can get stuck in that. Or there are tools, there are things mm. that you can do to try and help that, I suppose. And that's, look, it's a constant learning journey every single day of your life, you mm. know. Would you prefer, Linda, to be able to every so often say, look, it's grand. I'll be fine. Would you prefer to be able to be like that? I think so, but I suppose if this may sound negative, I don't know. Like, I'm nearly 50 and I feel I st- I've still had the exact same. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. A thought process, but I've what I do is when you start to recognize it, that's the help that you can in, in kind of incorporate into your life that Instead of going, I'm nuts, I'm crazy, um, I don't know what's going on with me, I'm totally not like everybody else. I am like everybody else. There, I'm not, I know I'm not the only one who suffers all of these things and it's okay. So I do, I suppose, you know, I talk about it as much as I can publicly um, around these kind of, um, I don't even like to use disorders, but it's just these traits that yeah, one I, can I, have I, because I, of I their life journey, it, you know. I wouldn't call it a disorder. I mean, if you're a, perfect, no, no, if you're a perfectionist no, and you no. expect certain certain things and you doubt yourself, that's not a disorder. That's just that's just a personality yeah, yeah. trait, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and not, you know, trying to know that I, you know, not to be too critical. And I suppose by talking about these things, I, I'm... I really hope that other people, because you always think you're the only one, you know, you always think you're the only one who suffers depression or has these negative thoughts or has this perfectionism or has imposter syndrome, you're in a room. And like literally, you could be in a room of 20 people, there could be 15 of those people (laughs) experiencing the exact same feelings. And I think until we're open and talk about these things, nothing is going to change. And so I do use LinkedIn a lot, which is the professional network. And a lot of people say, why would you use that for talking about mental health and stuff? Because I'm professional and I do know that I'm good at my job, but I also struggle. And I think we have to be really open about this or nothing is going to change. Like we hear constantly, oh, stigma, stigma, stigma. Um, But, you know, people are embarrassed. I get people who reach out to me privately. And actually men in particular, because they I think it's probably easier for women to be more open about how they feel. And, you know, if you can reach that one person who says, actually, I feel that way and thank you for being open and maybe someday I'll have the courage. That's all that that's all we should be all doing together, you know. Yeah. Good chatting with you, Linda. Uh, Network Cork Businesswoman of the Year, Linda O'Connell. And let me tell you, from one uh, imposter syndrome carrier to another, 
I'll be very, very straight with you. Because if someone says to me, how's, how's the job going? I'm still getting away with it. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. All right. Thank you, PJ. Cheers, Thanks Cheers. a million. Cheers, Linda. 0818 96, 96, 96. And this business is full of them, by the way. This crazy, mad business of ours is full of people with imposter syndrome. 0818 96, 96, 96. Right, let's clear some of your comments on bills and whether people should stop paying their bills. Hi, PJ. I think it was The Independent had an article on Facebook yesterday that if we were to use Guinness as an example as to how much of an increase there's been in the cost of energy in the last three years, if the pubs were putting up their prices to match the energy, a pint of Guinness would be 25 quid. Yeah, I heard someone saying that too. A restaurant in, I think, Liverpool, where a guy said, if I was to put my prices up to match the cost of energy, you'd be paying forty-seven fifty for a cheeseburger. The idea from the UK is nonsense, especially if you have a prepay meter. Plus, I saw a story on ITV describing the idea of warm banks. Yeah, I saw this. This is scary. Food banks, obviously, are what they are. But the idea that public buildings would be kept open and kept warm so people could go in there to stay warm. And they are talking about that in the UK as we head into the winter, that you might keep libraries and and town halls and churches open round the clock with the heating on so people could go in and stay warm. That's really worried. Worry. Hi, it's a great idea for us all to stand up against prices. My parents got a bill for a two-person household, €420. Euro. Previously, it had been 300 Six months ago, it was 200 So it's rising 30%. Within a year, the price has doubled. And yet my dad has been refused household benefit and fuel allowance as the income is above the limit by €20. Euro. In relation to not paying the power bills, I think that's not the solution because they'll always, I said this point ago, they'll always get their money. They'll even apply penalties. It may take time, but they will get it. I think mass power shut-off protests in the key hours of the evening reduce the amount of power we use and reduce their profits massively. Keep doing it until they listen. Hit the power suppliers in the pocket. 0818 96 96 96. Everyone just looking for a way to see can we save a couple of quid on the juice and on the gas going into the winter because it's frightening times ahead. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael with the latest in Cork entertainment. Clonakilty International Guitar Festival is turning 18 this year as it returns to West Cork on the 9th to 18th of September. Some of the first round of artists coming to Clon in September include Andy Irvine, Marissa Anderson, John Spillane and Susan O'Neill. Access all areas. Sleeping Beauty comes to Cork Opera House this December as Cork's biggest panto returns for the Christmas season. Tickets are on sale now from the Opera House box office and from CorkOperaHouse.ie. Access all areas. If you have a gig, exhibition or any entertainment news coming up in the next few weeks, drop us a line here at Access All Areas on AAA at 96FM.ie. Access All Areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Make us a question. Why are the lights left off on the park and ride all night? I heard it cost 40000 one year to light the place up. What does it cost now? The city council should lead by example. Yeah, making if they were running it around the clock, you'd say something. But you're right, the park and ride, anywhere that's not open around the clock, 
could turn off the lights now. They've done that in Spain, public buildings have to turn the lights off after 8pm if the building isn't in use. So no more city halls all lit up and no more town halls all lit up. And even one of the big attractions in Tenerife this year, they've, they've toned it down big time. It's this big fountain on the Golden Mile down there and it goes up into the air and lights and sound and water and everything. They've turned it way, way down to save energy this year. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Have you ever been deep faked? I, I was reading this morning on Twitter of another very nasty, very nasty AIB scam where the guy had his entire life savings cleaned out. Now they think that, or he thinks rather, he'll get it all back, but very distressing. That's one type of scam that's going on there. But deep fakes are a very a very, very modern and a very, very sophisticated kind of scam and you can find yourself literally in a porn movie. You can find yourself in a porn movie that you obviously never took part in and it can be used to blackmail you. They can make politicians say things they never said and they can twist an entire political debate by making politicians say, or anyone say, things they never actually said. And fraud on a massive scale, all done through deep faking. Uh, it's, it's the buzzword of online scams these days. Let's talk with Ronan Murphy of SmartTech, who, who fixes this crack and detects it for a living, Ronan. Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Good to speak with you again. Before I get into the types of deep fake and how we might avoid getting deep faked ourselves, what is it? What is a deep fake? Yeah, so look, it's a, I guess it's when seeing is no longer believing. Um, the, the, the best examples of, of deep fakes, I think they make people laugh and they make people cower in equal measure, right? So you're seeing a lot of high profile celebrities like Donald Trump and Tom Cruise and, um, various different celebrities who are being deep faked, right? Um, and for the most part, it's entertaining. Now, obviously, it's been it's been used for a number of years in the porn industry. So as far back as 2016, um, it was used as a mechanism to put, to, uh, put famous actresses' uh, faces in, in porn scenes. Um, but it was a complex endeavor to do it. It's become more commoditized now mm. insofar as it's easier to do. So what would have taken six to 12 months uh, two years ago can now be done literally in a matter of hours. And mm. um, there's no evidence to suggest um, as of right now that it's being used wholesale to defraud people or scam people. Um, there's there's some evidence to suggest it has happened to companies internationally. But one thing is for sure, it will become a big problem in the coming in the coming years. I've no doubt about that. As you just said, I just spoke with that guy, Niall, on Radio One a while ago, who had had his AIB account uh, cleaned out, and that, and these guys were were purporting to be AIB, and they, they they spoofed the telephone number and the text messages, and they managed to clean out his life savings. So you can imagine if they can spoof a telephone number, and they can fake pretending they're AIB support, what people will be able to do when you can uh, hear or see them uh, convincing you to, tra- to transfer money. A few years ago, we came across a story here uh, on 96 of M. Ronan of how Facebook photos were lifted and put onto uh, the heads of, shall we say, pornographic photographs. 
and they got into the Facebook account of a leisure club and lifted pictures and put them. Now, that was kind of an advanced form of Photoshop, but we've gone far, far more sophisticated now, haven't we? We have. We've. I mean, it, 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 this is this is the the twenty first century photoshopping, right? Uh, deep faking. Now, f- funnily enough, right, PJ. The, the, the thing is, for people of our ilk of our age, will be listening in in horror to this. Whereas, if you turn around to a twelve year old child, this is uh, you know they do this every day on on, on Snapchat. That's true. It's I true. mean, for kid for kid for kids, this is nothing special. They're they're wondering what all the the fuss is about. Um. So I, I, I guess where deep faking, I mean, obviously the, the, the porn thing has been around for a long time, right? Um, there's, there's, there, there's more profound rabbit holes that this goes down. There was a very interesting study actually done by UCC, right? And, and it confirmed that people tend to recall fake news better than real news. Yeah. So if you want to uh, propagate a message of fake news, uh, on various social channels, if you want to, you know, uh, put a message out there of Barack Obama or Donald Trump or Vladimir Putin saying something, and you socialize that in a social in a network of like-minded people, whether it's fake or not, kind of doesn't matter. A certain percentage of people will believe it, and a certain percentage of people will recall that more uh, vividly than they will recall real news. And that's where you start going down this rabbit hole of, uh, you know, of, 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 of the dangers of fake news and of deep faking from a political perspective. And mm. um, so, so I think you, as you said, there's, there's three areas you can break this down into. There's the whole uh, kind of porn industry problem. There's the whole fake news and destabilizing of governments uh, issue. And then there's the fraud piece where that isn't as prevalent right now, but it, in the future, we anticipate it will become a bigger issue. During the pandemic, uh, there was a lot of video going out to suit a certain agenda. And yes. you would look back and you'd look at a video, you'd watch a video or watch this on YouTube, the truth about such and such. Watch it on YouTube. It's as convincing as looking out the window and seeing the weather. And then you see the real clip. Is that a form of deep faking? Yeah, it is. It is. I remember we had an event in Cork Opera House in 2017, and we spoke for 45 minutes about deep fakes. And we we give examples of how it was evolving, and it it it's evolved a little bit slower than we had anticipated. But in the last 12 months, there's been it's 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 ramped up significantly and the ability to now spot deep fakes is becoming increasingly more difficult mm. um and deep fakes come in they come in three uh three guises let's say they come in in video obviously where you've got the, the, both the, the, the facial recognition but they also come in voiceovers so for example where you know where your wife PJ gets a telephone call from you asking you to transfer five thousand euros to the bank account or to a specific bank account because you badly need it. You've no deep fake device, and then imagery, which is the photoshopping of deep fakes. When you combine all three, um, it it can get quite dangerous if if you're that way inclined and you want to exploit it. The the, the, the only example we have as of right now is where uh, a company in Hungary. Um, someone, their financial controller, uh, got a video call from the CEO uh, asking them to transfer, you know, a million bucks to a specific account, and they believed that that was a successful deep fake attack, where they had taken imagery of the CEO, they had taken voiceover of the CEO, wow. and they had combined those together effectively, and they had convinced 
the now there's, there's no empirical evidence to suggest it was a deep fake, but the the, the, the general um, uh, conversation out there is that it was. So we we anticipate we will see more of this in the future. Um, as as you said in your introduction, there's technologies now being. Uh, built to help organizations deal with this and those policies being put in place. But I think from, I mean, if I were to be concerned about it, I, th- I think individuals, um, I mean, if you, you know, back to the guy Niall who had his AIB account cleaned out, if you can clean people out by simply spoofing a telephone number, you can imagine the damage that will, will yeah. come forward once you can spoof entire yeah. people. An example, for example, let, let us say that the Taoiseach appeared on video uh, saying people would get a text message and to answer that text message with their bank details details, and they get a grant to cover the cost of their fuel. You could fake that. Very you easy. could easily fake that and I, I would anticipate that 40% of people would click that link. Yeah. 40% of all people would click it. So you suddenly, and irrespective of whether it's fake news or you know, no matter how much public awareness you put out there, somebody will still click that link. People will click it. I mean, we all know that the text messages coming out from Bank of Ireland and AIB are being spoofed. Everyone knows they're being spoofed. Yeah. Everyone knows they're fake. But irrespective, there's still hundreds of people every day being caught. We hear about, you know, we hear about 10 or 20 or 30 in the media. There's actually hundreds being caught. Yeah. Because, you know, pe- pe- people will, will click the link. Yeah, like that, that whole idea of the Taoiseach appearing on, for example, you could hack, for want of a better term, Fianna Fáil's website, and there's enough material out there to fake a video of Michal Martin telling us all to check for a text message and give our bank details and we'll all get 500 quid towards our energy bills. The technology is out there to enable somebody to do that and we should be really careful of it. Yeah, it's a great example. I mean, you're probably building the blueprint there for, for some of these guys to, uh, to to implement a strategy to do this. But I mean, I, I do anticipate that that's what we will expect in the future. You'll see these deep fake and a lot of them will be will be circulated via social media and so forth. Mm. Um, and it's I mean, no, on the other hand, right, there's benefits to the stuff, too. Right. It's It's bleeding edge technology and. I mean, it, it's helping people with voice reconstruction and yeah. image reconstruction, and there's benefits to it, but there's obviously a, a, a very dangerous uh, side to it as well, well and there's, you, there's, there's privacy, privacy implications. If you look at how the same kind of technology enabled Charlie Board to give interviews after his voice has gone. Exactly. You know, exactly. That's a great example. It's the same technology for the proper use. To, to, yeah, to misuse it would, 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 be, would be so dangerous. Ronan, how do we protect ourselves against this stuff? They're always two, two paces ahead of us. So are there a few things we can do in our day-to-day to protect us? It, it, it always goes back, PJ, to the, the foundation of trying to protect someone from anything to do with cybersecurity, whether it's a text message, whether it's a phishing email, irrespective of what it is, you need the human being to use critical thinking. They need to ask themselves a question. When somebody sends them a link on Facebook or Snapchat or Instagram or Twitter or an email or they or your bank calls you, you have to use critical thinking. Why 
Is this person contacting me? Why are they sending me a link? Why are they sending me the video? Is there any potential uh, anomaly or something unusual about what this person is saying? Like, I'll give you a good example. I think it was maybe with yourself or someone else recently. There was a poor woman who had her, they had thousands of euros cleaned out because they sent their daughter an emergency uh, transfer on WhatsApp. Yes, yes. You know? Whereas if you critically evaluated that situation, not 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 to you know to, to criticize anybody, but to, if you critically evaluate the situation, you ask some logical questions. Um, you very quickly, irrespective of the panic that's involved in the situation, you very quickly come to a realization that there's something not right here. And unfortunately, there's no silver bullet to fixing this. It's this is an endless stream of attacks in different forms. But the only way it'll ever be fixed is when people learn to critically evaluate the situation. And and these guys, these hackers, right, a lot of it is very sophisticated technology and so forth. But they actually, in many instances, don't need to, to go that deep in terms of technology. They can simply hack the human with a text message or a telephone call. Yeah. Um, this stuff will evolve and this stuff will be a big problem. And you gave a great example a moment ago of how you can you can target a large geographic well, region. I, I'm given to understand like that there is such a video, the, the video I described of the Taoiseach, there is such a fake video doing the rounds on WhatsApp, I'm told. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah I haven't seen it, but yeah. yeah I'm and not I haven't either, I'm I'm not just, but I've just been told here very reliably, there actually is such yeah, yeah. a video going around on, on, on WhatsApp. So it's, it's, it's happening faster than we can think about. But you know what you said about the critical thinking, and I, I, I do take that point, Ronan, but I guess for a parent receiving a panicked text message from a child, or say, my daughter presently is, is away on holidays overseas, and if I got a panicked text message purporting to come from her, daddy kicks in, critical yeah. thinking goes out the window. And the faker yeah, yeah. is depending on that to happen just once a day. A hundred percent. You're absolutely spot on. And if if you find yourself in that scenario, you remember all of these these scams, there's a level of urgency required to act, whether it's, you know, stop the guys taking the money out of your bank account or transferring money to a loved one who's in trouble. Um, but there is logical steps you can take to validate if that's actually accurate. Right. Trust I and mean, validate. Actually, it came ask- up this morning, talking about Mikhail Gorbachev, Ronald Reagan, remember saying, he, he attempted to say trust and validate in, in Russian back in the day, the trust and validate things come up. Explain what that means, trust and then validate. So the, the single biggest problem with security, cyber security globally, is trust. Trust is the single biggest vulnerability that exists. It's the single most dangerous uh, aspect. It's a human emotion that we've built into digital systems and it only benefits one person and that's the bad the bad guys. You need to always eliminate trust. You always have to validate. You always have to ensure that the person you're speaking to is the, the, the right person and that the intentions from the uh, interaction are what you expect. And the minute people rely on trust, that's what bad guys rely on. They rely on trust. And the minute you have, you bring trust into a digital realm, you're in trouble. You never trust anyone or anything. You use critical thinking, you question everything. And whenever there's a panic or urgency and it's in a digital environment, you need to forget about trust and you need to validate. You and I know each other a long time, Ronan. We know each other quite a long time since you were first venturing into business. And 
if I, yeah. what you're saying is, or take someone here that I've known in this building for 30 years that I'm here. They text me for yes. a favour. I need to even not trust at that level. You need to eliminate trust. You need to eliminate trust at always. You need to validate. Wow. It's trust a- is a human, trust, trust is a human emotion. And for some peculiar reason, we've embedded trust in social media. We've embedded gotcha. trust in digital networks. And trust is, it's the single most dangerous vulnerability that exists. And if you look at every single cyber attack that's ever happened since the dawn of cyber attacks, every single one of them has been as a consequence of trust. Wow. Trust needs to be eliminated. You can never trust. You always need to validate. That's what, I, I'm assuming that's what, what he meant. Yeah. But that he's a he's a 100% spot on in what he's saying. Yeah, that's that's actually... A scary piece of advice. It, 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 like, but, but it's true. There's a rational parallel. And we covered a couple of years ago, Ronan, before I let you go, um, people calling to the door to sell charity lines or to sell you a new supplier for your electricity or something. Uh, there was a scam gunner on my area a few years ago, and I have an absolute blanket refusal of anybody. So much to the point, if my own mother, God love her, it was her birthday yesterday... If my mother came to the door selling me lines for a charity, I wouldn't buy. I have to have the same effect, the same thought process online, yeah? 100%. You need the same, the same thought process. It's, you, never, you never trust anything. I mean, if my bank rang me, if my bank sent me a text message, it would be a cold day in hell before I would ever call them back. That's, that's true. I mean, it's... I, they would literally have to come up and knock on my door and I would have to see that there were real human beings standing in front of me. And, and even because, then, and even look, then I, you'd double-check the ID. Come here, did you see... And Orlando, then i double-check it. Did you see Orlando Bloom in town yesterday? Yeah, he was in town yesterday with um, a, a good friend of mine, Jason, from Cork Sea Safari. Yes. So he was taking him on, on, on a tour of the city with uh, uh, Katy Perry. Are you sure it's the real so, one? So, uh, yeah, they, <laughs> yeah it was the, they were real, they were real. Uh, so they stopped up in... Uh, in, in uh, in Three Fools Coffee for a coffee and Orlando said unequivocally the best coffee he's ever tasted. Yeah, so uh, Kevin and the guys in, in, in Three Fools Coffee, fair play to them. They were delighted with that. Ronan, listen, good, solid advice. Uh, thank you very much, Ronan Murphy from Smart Tech. And that fake video of the Taoiseach is out there. I haven't seen it, but it's out there. Taoiseach appearing on WhatsApp telling you you'll get a text message and if you... It's fake. Trust nobody. Absolutely nobody online. That's the the takeaway from that discussion. And it's hard. Your best friend, who you've known for all your life, texts you and say, I need help. Verify first that it's them. Trust nobody ever online. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Uh, a show called The Capture, I'm told, started on BBC last Sunday night about deep faking. Uh, scary says this message Bernice I think a lot of people have become easy to con because of the use of technology because of their using technology you could well be right 
Bernie. We've become kind of a soft target for people who want to get in through our technology. And we have to, as Ronan was saying, and if you take nothing from that last conversation with Ronan Murphy, if you take nothing from it, take this. Trust nobody online. Absolutely nobody ever online. Verify it first, uh, whatever way you can, and then trust them if you can. 0818 96 96 96. Nora emailed opinion at 96fm.ie to say, I'm so cautious about cyber fraud that recently when I started to get automated courtesy calls about my Vodafone account, I immediately cut them off, thinking it was fraud. A few days later, my Wi-Fi was cut off. When I contacted them, they said there was a problem with my payment and I hope they sorted it out Nora and you were right don't take a call like that it could be anything and certainly whatever you do don't give them any personal information on the phone trust nobody is what Ronan is saying 0818 96 96 96 the number of the text to WhatsApp is 083 396 96 96 email opinion at 96fm.ie now heading off to Cambodia and Rwanda on the 12th of September is our Cork Rose, Jenny Bourne. First of all, Jenny, well done with, with Dahi last week. It was a, a tough competition and well done on your on-stage performance with, with Dahi. Thank you very much. You, you did us proud. You absolutely oh, did thank us you. proud. Tell us about this trip, Cambodia and Rwanda. Yeah, it's going to be an absolutely massive trip. So as part of my four-year PhD up in NUI Galway, my data collection, like my actual research, will be based in Cambodia and Rwanda. So in two weeks' time, which is crazy, um, I'm heading off on the first research trip to Cambodia. So I'll be over there for three months up until just before Christmas, and I'll be doing all of the data collection for my PhD. So because I'm working with women with disabilities and looking at the employment opportunities that they have, what I'll be doing basically is doing interviews with women with physical disabilities in Cambodia and trying to understand the opportunities that they have and the NGOs that work with them in Cambodia yeah. at the moment um, and just trying to understand how best they can be supported and then doing focus groups with different NGOs in Cambodia as well. And then next year, I'll be replicating the exact same thing in Rwanda. Physical disability is treated so much different, so so differently in those parts of the world. I've been to India a couple of times and the treatment of physical disability is so different to what it is here. I'm sure it's the very same in Cambodia. Yeah, it is quite different. And I think especially in Cambodia, given the history, like with the Khmer Rouge War in the 70s and then with the Civil War and the war with Vietnam in the um, late 90s, you know, Cambodia didn't really know peace until the late 1990s they would have seen a lot of physical disability purely because of the amount of landmines right. in the country. People so my disfigured, research, disf- disfigured as children. Exactly. Like Cambodia is still the seventh most landmined country in the world. So they still have a huge problem with kind of mining um, and things like that that has led to a massive amount of physical disability in the country. Do, do you know what's facing you when you go there, Jenny? Have you any concept of what it's going to be like? <laughs> I would actually have a good idea of what's facing me in Cambodia. I worked as an English teacher in Cambodia in 2015 and I absolutely loved it. I found it to be an amazing country and people were very welcoming, very friendly and open to kind of talking about issues that are faced in the country. But I also found that the like it's only been 25 years since the country has kind of been 
stable and open to tourism, I suppose. But in that time, it's come on so much and they've made so much progress in terms of development, but also in terms of disability and the kind of disability movement that's grown in Cambodia has been amazing. So I suppose I'm lucky in that sense that I have been there before. I know a little bit about the country. I would have a lot of contacts, but it's still a massive culture shock. Yeah. Are you traveling alone? over and spend I am. Yeah, I'll be traveling on my own. My dad actually is coming over with me for the first two weeks to help me get settled and bring over a load of my luggage. Um, but after that, it's all up to me. But to be fair, I've built a brilliant team kind of around me from NUI Galway and I have funding from the National Universities of Ireland. And then I have a great network of NGOs who are currently working in Cambodia, who have been a great support in kind of setting up the logistics of all of this and everything. And then on to Rwanda. Have you been there before? I have not. No, this will be my first time in Rwanda. Um, I did some work in Uganda a few years ago, so I would know some of the NGOs who currently work in Rwanda. And I used to work for Trokra as well, who still have an office in Rwanda. So it's kind of through networking and through contacts that I'm hoping both of these trips will go off well. But Rwanda is a little bit more of a jump into the unknown for me, I suppose. But I'm hoping that with the kind of experience of Cambodia done, um, it'll give me a bit more confidence yeah. for Rwanda. Rwanda has, I mean, I remember, you're, you're, you're probably too young to remember hearing about the war there mm. on the radio and, and seeing yeah. horrific pictures. I'm thinking of, of, of the um, Fergal from BBC. Yes, uh, Fergal know, Keane, yeah. Fergal Keane, and, and the stuff that he reported from the absolutely gut-wrenching horror that mm. was out there. And I'm sure totally. that's left thousands of people carrying disability. Absolutely. But again, like the comparison of these two countries is interesting because they both have fairly similar histories in terms of brutal wars and genocides in both countries, kind of both ending in the late 90s. But both of them have come on so much in the last 25 years. Like Rwanda, as I suppose we kind of all know, has become kind of a beacon in Africa for women's rights That's and kind right. of women's empowerment. They've really championed that movement. They have a 50%, 50% cabinet quota. 50% of the cabinet yeah. must be women. Which is amazing. Like, And Rwanda, I think, has come on so much since the genocide in such a short amount of time that it's a really interesting case study and I guess both countries have so hopefully the comparison of both of them will show some really interesting findings in terms of the disability movement but also I suppose in terms of how countries can re-emerge after really brutal wars like that I can hear excitement in your voice Jenny (laughs) yeah I I do get quite excited about these kind of things and I suppose coming from that background of development it's just always something I've been interested in like how countries kind of re-emerge after situations like that and like it is a privilege, I suppose, to be able to do all this traveling and to be able to do the research I want, but also to be able to have a platform to tell these stories. Like I think I was talking the other day in the Rosa Tralee about how I don't want to be speaking for anyone. I don't want to be speaking on behalf of anyone, but I would really like to be able to collect the stories from the women that I speak to and then give them a platform to speak yeah. for themselves. I think it's really important that... And will you be recording kind of audio and video and bringing it back? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I will. I'll certainly be recording audio and then I've been talking to a number of different NGOs about making um, some small video clips, maybe a mini documentary from both of the countries and then putting together all my findings into some sort of video platform that we can all share. You know, I'd, I'd love to talk to you again, Jenny, in between the two trips. Would you be up for that? 
definitely yeah I think that would be great and hopefully like once I come back from Cambodia I'll have a much better idea of what the findings actually are which will be great it'll give me kind of a better sense of where the disability movement is going what the opportunities are and then I suppose the implications for Ireland as well because like we have great we've got a great track record of human rights in Ireland and there's an awful lot going on in Ireland for people with disabilities but like I said in the Rosa Trilly like there's always room for improvement and there's always room for us to be doing more so I would be interested in how all of this relates to the Irish context as well and hopefully I'll know a bit more in between the two trips and afterwards as well. I look forward to chatting again then Jenny Byrne uh, our Cork Rose for the year ahead and heading off to Cambodia on September 12th and then after Christmas to Rwanda for her research for her PhD and I really do look forward to chatting with her again. Thank you Jenny. 0818 96 96 96 yet yeah, Nora <coughs> was reconnected but they put her back on at a higher rate. That's most Unfortunate. It don't, I mentioned Mikhail Gorbachev earlier, and of course, like I said, the papers and the newspaper, the news programs and the radio and the television, full of tributes and profiles of Mikhail Gorbachev today. And I mentioned that he must be the only world leader <clears throat> with a nightclub named after him. We had Gorbys in Cork uh, years ago, and yes, it was named after him because at the time. He was called Gorby by the popular papers, by the Red Tops. They all called him Gorby. So when they were uh, redoing the Lacey House in the city centre and we had Rickenbacker's Disco Bar in there and a few things like that, they renamed it and they called it Gorby's as a tribute, I'm assuming, to the man himself. So the only uh, world leader with a, a nightclub named after Almost in all the thinking about Mikhail Gorbachev, forgot a very significant anniversary today. Um, And I think no matter, even if you're sort of only in your 30s or your early 30s, you will remember hearing about Princess Diana's death. It was 25 years ago today when she died in Paris, August the 31st. 1997. I always remember where I was and what I was doing. Uh, I was had been doing a gig, playing at a gig in West Cork. It was a Saturday night and it was a wedding. I was down in Dunmore House near Clonakilty. I was playing a gig, actually working for the late great Ted Dunn. And it was a horrible, horrible night. And I would have stayed at the hotel only for I'd have hung the expense and stayed at the hotel only for the place was full. So I sat, and I was working also, also in the morning. So I sat into my car and I was driving back and the rain was so strong and so, it was such a horrible storm that night. I had to pull in because I simply couldn't see. And I pulled in to see was, would the, would the rain pass off? This is about three o'clock in the morning. And I turned on the radio and it broke through the news that she'd been in a car crash in Paris and then I got home whatever time I got home got an hour or two sleep and woke up to the news that she had died and I was in here that morning and people were down at St. Augustine's Church I'll never forget it down outside St. Augustine's Church um, bawling crying absolutely bawling crying at the news that uh, Princess Diana that was 25 years ago today I, I just wanted to share it with you for the, the minute it took if you have any memories yourself 
let us know at 083 396 96 96 where you were, what you were doing when you heard the news that Princess Diana had died in Paris. I just thought I'd throw it in for what it's worth. The Two Grand Minute. Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day. Answer 10 questions to claim all that cash. Stacking up the cash. Cash! Cash! The Two Grand Minute. On Casey and Ross in the morning. Cork's 96FM. An appeal will be launched this week by O.N.E. The organization of national ex service person service personnel called the Fuchsia Appeal. And it's to provide homeless accommodation and other assistance to Defence Force veterans in need. It'll be launched on Friday at the City Hall. Tracy Connolly is a board member of ONE and joins me. Hi Tracy. Hi, PJ. Thank you for having me on. Delighted. Thank you very much. Talk to people a little about the work of ONE, in particular with relation to, you know, ex service personnel who fall on hard times because it happens more than we think Oh it, it, it really does and I don't think the public are, are fully aware of how much it does happen. Um, I myself am a veteran. Um, I came out after 23 years. I'm out four and a half years out of the army and um, even though I haven't had direct contact with a, a homeless veteran I have had contact with many homeless people um, but I have dealt with them in a, in a way that they needed shopping. They needed their groceries throughout the year. And right up to Christmas, like Christmas is a very busy time for the O&E. Uh, we'd be filling hampers and bringing them out to uh, veterans who are falling on hard times. And we're trying to keep them off the streets, um, most of them, because it's very difficult uh, for a veteran um the, the, the pay and conditions that are in the defence force is not just it didn't just hit the 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 more mature veterans it's hit the middle the glue of the defence forces which myself which I had to come out for better paying conditions and um, even though I've got on a good road myself some of my comrades haven't mm. and I, I I wanted to go forward then and help the the veteran that I could help in case it ever happened to me um, now. My friend uh, and colleague down in Cove, they opened a hostel down there. His, his, um, the national president, Dermot Higgins. Yes. He uh, had direct contact with the homeless veterans. And like, we have about 59 beds all across the country. And just I was just speaking to the president down there and he was saying, we have five in the house now and uh, we, we will we'll be having another person now come in. So that's full. That's full at the moment. Yeah. Down in Cove Hospital, yeah. so that's what you're looking at. Now we're setting Tracy, up another. Tracy, house. do we know? And, yeah. and do we know why this befalls so many veterans? Well, the, there's a lot to do with, I suppose, marital breakdowns, um, overseas. You, you know, a lot of people have come with, back with PTSD, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, yeah. Yeah. Um, so like a lot of that has happened, and of course the homelessness has really affected a lot of those members because they couldn't deal with mental illness you know lots of I mean we have counselling services in O&E but not everybody can go for counselling they don't they don't feel like they have the courage to do that and mm-hmm. I, I'd, I'd love to spread the words that O&E are always there to help you know come forward and get some counselling services and we'll help with mental assistance and stuff like that mm-hmm. but 
Yeah, it's 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 down to, you know, we've seen it. I was in the war myself in the graves of Wrath in Lebanon in 1996. And, you know, I was fortunate to come home and be able to go in and upskill myself in counselling skills and all that kind of stuff to help myself from what I saw in the war-torn country when I was in a bunker being sh- like shelled in camp and everything like that. So there's a lot of people have come home and with those memories and, you know, they need to be dealt with. So we're there as an organisation to help our veteran, yeah. to, to remember them. And that's what we have on our Fuchsia pin. We have um, on the Fuchsia pin that we're going to be giving out on Friday is Kovnamis, uh, right, which is remember, remember those who served. And we this Fuchsia, this Fuchsia is grown all over Ireland. Yes. Um, and you do know this. Do you, do you know it's grown all over Ireland, but it's grown mainly in the west of Ireland. It's a beautiful and, red uh, little flower. Beautiful red flower. Yes. It's tears, tears of God, you know. And I suppose, you know, it really, it really does work for us because we have to remember those. And you know, it's tears that we must not forget the people who served the country, who you know, served their flag, and brought peace to this country. You know, there's war everywhere. You had that girl on just before you there now, and Rose. So she she was brilliant. But, you know, you have a lot of war-torn countries out there, a lot of fighting going on. We're not just, if, we, if there was something happened there tomorrow, you wouldn't just have the defence forces out there. You'd have the veterans would go out there. We'll all come together. So what we're trying to appeal to the public is if they could just, Come along on Friday the 2nd, we'll be outside the GPO, we'll be outside, we'll be up in the Grand Parade, we'll be all around town. We'll launch it in the City Hall, as you said, and we'll be all around town. And we'll just, if you could just remember us, remember those who served and remember the, the and honour the members that are still, still serving today and take a pin from us and maybe donate a little. You know, donate a little. It doesn't matter what you donate. I don't know. Come up and talk to me. Yeah. And I'll tell you everything about the DF and the veterans. And if you want to join or and help us, our organization would be good too. But the, the chief of the chief of staff, uh, Lieutenant General Sean Clancy, will be at the City Hall to launch it. And so will the Minister for Defence, Simon Coveney. And we'll have the Lord Mayor of Cockney, Clergy Dale Ford, and many other, other dignitaries as well will be there. Okay. And we'll have a lot of support from the Army Band as well, DJ. So, like, you know, it's 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 going to be great to for the public to... We're, we're trying to become visual. Let the people know that we need the support and to buy our fuchsia um, would be great. You gave us a figure there while ago that the the centre in Cove is now full, and I think there's a there's another yes. one in development. But listener has phoned in, Tracy. Yes. Is there a number that you know of people who are homeless, former soldiers who are homeless? Like how many people is ONE helping across yes, the country? Yes, that's a great that's a that's a great question. Like I said, we have fifty nine beds up and down the country. So I was just giving an example. I can't be in every location because they're up they're up in Dublin, Letterkenny, Athlone, Cove, and we're we're going to be doing another one in Cork because there's a need for it. So I just gave an example that Cove Hostel will be full this week. So just put that into perspective. Every week changes because what we do is we bring in the veteran. We bring in the veteran that has fallen in hard times and we give them the skills. We show them how to do the shopping list again. We show them how to live again. We show them how to social include again. Because we have a veteran support centres, 15 of them across the country. And we have one across from Collins Barracks. And we are doing the polytunnel with all growing vegetables. So anybody that goes into our centres, 
we'd be inviting them up to our veteran sports centre, come into the polytunnel, you know, yeah. grow your tomatoes there, something like that. And we do fishing. We go out there with the Angling uh, Council of Ireland. We're doing so many things. But we want the public to know, to remember, remember those who served and remember and honour the, the serving members today yeah. that we offer peace to this country. And remember, we're all, we like... The, the country here could, could anything could happen at any time yeah. so it's beautiful country like it is now it's beautiful yeah. but Quiv- just remember that Quiv- Quiv- you know Tracy I was in Lebanon I covered uh, the army out there for a documentary we did a radio documentary we did back in 1999 and I was they were telling me they were telling me about the grapes of Ras and what had happened and what they'd oh. endured and to talk to someone who'd been there oh. Is a privilege. Oh, it gives me, it gives me shivers all over my spine. There, like that you said that. You know, it's it's really. Thank you very much. It's a privilege because you know. Uh, thank you so much. That's really good because uh, it was hard. And at the time, I was, I was, I was literally a baby. You could say I came out of recruit training. I hadn't spent more than six months in my unit and trained up as a, a signaler. You know, I was, I was in, an expert in communications yeah. and Morse code. Yeah. And I had to go out there then and put my thinking cap on and where I was in communication centre when a lot of um, people were coming over the air um, after being shot and it was, a, it was a hard situation but I was I was, I was there for them and I was glad I was trained up for the war situation you would have been, been in I, signals so in in, um, in Tibbin would you? I would have been in, in signals in, in, in Shamrock yeah, yeah in you would have known Con McNamara would you? And if you want oh, I would, yeah. <laughs> I would. <laughs> oh my God, Almighty! They're a just fantastic group of people, yeah. and you know, if I had to relive everything again, I would for the Lebanese people. You know, they they had such a hard time, and um, we've great memories with them. Good memories too, besides all yeah. the bad memories. And um, we've made a lot of friends. You know, the defense forces make a lot of friends yeah. overseas, and that's why we have an unbroken record across the world for United Nations peacekeeping. But that's because they look at Ireland and they say, what a country. It's so peaceful there. I want to go to Ireland. And we want to try to remain that way. So if you could support the Fuchsia appeal on Friday the 2nd, you know, outside the GPO, the Grand Parade, and if there's a musician or two can come up to me there at the GPO, I'll be there because I'd be delighted with a bit of music to my ears. You know, that will help us. Um, Yeah, so there. So just as we veterans have started our country and we pledge to leave no one behind, that's the main thing. We pledge to leave no one behind. Tracy, thank you for your service and thank you for the continued work that you're doing for the veterans. Uh, Tracy Connolly of ONE. Uh, yeah, I was over in Lebanon, as I said, for eight or ten days in 1999, visiting all the various parts of where the Irish Army had served over there. And I was told about the Grapes of Wrath and to, to talk to someone who actually served while it was ongoing is a privilege. Thank you, Tracy. 0818969696. Some political news. Now, it's been the most open secret for the last 48 hours. Dara Kaliri coming out of the cold. So he is. He will replace Robert Troy, who stepped down, of course, from the Department of Enterprise, Trade and Employment uh, last week. And we not revisiting the details of why, but he did. And he's being replaced by Dara Kaliri. Didn't Dara Kaliri? Wasn't he caught up in Golfgate? So Dara Kaliri, in from the cold. Back in as a junior minister in the Department of Enterprise, Trade and Employment. 
0818 96 96 96 Can we just talk the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Now, Lorraine was talking to me last week, I think it was. You lose track of time in this job very quickly. You had come home from a trip away to a festival and you were hoping to get to Electric Picnic, but all your gear had been lost on the way back. Any news, Lorraine? Morning. Hey. Yeah, so, hi, how are you? Um, I actually, I tra- travelled up to Dublin yesterday. There's um, a warehouse where the old um, Aer Lingus buildings are. They're holding the luggage in there at the moment. Um, so I drove up yesterday morning at half six. They open at ten, so I went up to be the first there. Um, and I'm not joking what I say now. There was about six or 7,000 bags inside in the warehouse. And all it is is it's separated by airline and you're just told to go in. You have to show your ID and stuff and all that. It is fairly secure, but um, there's two people working in the warehouse. Do you find your bag? Nope. My bag is my. I was told by um, one of the lads that was working there. He took my reference number and my tag number and checked it in the system. And I was told it was with AirOps, which is like a Dublin Airport's own courier. Right. Um, and I was told then they close from 12 to 2 for lunch. And he was like, look, you can head away or whatever. I'll be in touch with you shortly as soon as I get on to the, the fella, this fella, John or something was his name, who's the courier. And I'll give you a ring. And I heard absolutely nothing. Right. Um, so I, I rang them yesterday afternoon, um, this air ops place. I found a number on Google and I spoke to a lovely man. To be fair to him, now, he was really, really nice. But um, he said, I don't have your luggage. I don't know why they told you I have your luggage. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> an electric picnic Friday and still no luggage, and still no luggage. <laughs> so, well, the last time we, we contacted Lufthansa when we were talking to you the last yeah. time, we got in touch with them and they pretty much told us that not our problem, we're not getting involved. That's that's an unfortunate way uh, to to treat people, but that's that's just how it is. Lorraine, sorry to hear that. Keep us posted if you ever actually do get your luggage. Uh, thank you for that. That's Lorraine McCarthy. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six on Princess Diana. I was living in Barcelona at the time. It was on the television, but it was all in Spanish, and I didn't have a word of Spanish at the time. Uh, I was woken up by my now partner as she was going to work that morning. Flicked on Sky News and there was Kay Burley, visibly distraught, struggling to keep going. And that was the start, I think, of 24-7 rolling news was that day. You're not the first person to say that. Do you remember this wonderful moment? We shared it on the show last week and we said we'd hopefully be able to follow it up. This is Erica O'Shea from McCroom who's been in Melbourne since June uh, with North Melbourne where she joined their their women's team uh, the Kangaroos and she got selected by their coach Darren Crock Crocker for the first team for the first time. Played this clip last week. Crock called me in a while ago and he told me that I'm making my debut on Saturday. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's crying. Oh, I'm sorry, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. So that's her chatting to her mum, telling her the big news. And I thought, we've got to follow that up. So we did. Erica, I played that clip of you uh, chatting to your mum when you were selected for the team. Before I get to that moment and what it felt like, how did the game go? Yeah, so the game was obviously very intense. Um, we've been preparing the last couple of weeks with preseason, 
So like we obviously had a good start and we took the game well and we won, thank God. So um, yeah, we were delighted to get the win, but definitely there was hard hits and it was very intense and very physical, but I loved it all the same. It's a tough game. I mean, it's, it's, it's a tougher game than the football you were playing, say, here. Definitely physically on my body. The hits here are just like no no other. Like a minute before I came out here, I met Kieran Sheehan and a few other lads, and um, they were telling me that there's no way of preparing for the tackles and stuff. Hmm. So it's like you're thrown in the deep end here. Like you don't learn until you get taken out of it, and <laughs> they're so right. You you don't learn until you get taken out. Oh, a hundred percent. And like that's the thing. See, like next time you're not going to run straight into a tackle. You're going to be cute about it. And you're going to try to run around. So you learn the hard way. But like if the teammates push you anyway, which is good. And like it gets you prepared for matches. Like the last day. Tell me about this adventure, Erica or Ricky, as they're calling you now. I'll ask you that again in a second. <laughs> like I absolutely love it out here. I couldn't think of like this is like my dream for such a long time to come out and play professional sport and to make the friends I did and to have the most talented coaches training you and to teach you more about different sports and just growing as a person as well. Like I'm, I just turned twenty and I'm living in an apartment in a different country and like it's just obviously a big change for me. Like I obviously it's hard to contact my friends and my family a lot because you're either training or I'm working or something. Yeah. So like that, that kind of takes a toll on you too, but like um, yeah, like there's lots of ups and downs. Like this week now, one of the girls, unfortunately, one of her mother passed away from um cancer, so that took a big toll on the team. Sure. And like it puts a lot into perspective too. Like having my family so far away. So like today was a bit of an emotional day. Sure. But, um, yeah. yeah, definitely. Like there's lots of ups and downs. Like I absolutely love it out here, but like you get a bit of homesick too. Yeah. Like when you got the call to say come out remind me of that day yeah definitely so um, I was actually up in UL and I got contacted by um, Mike Cran because a few of the lads were on to him and I actually got contacted personally through social media by um, one of the coaches in two different teams so um, like obviously it was at the time I was like oh it's something for down the line and like I wanted to focus on Cork but like as you go along and like my college can be online for the first semester so everything was kind of coming into perspective then I was like is this something I want to give a go at when I'm younger because like I, I listened to Coruscant and a few others saying that they obviously love it out here and they're making such a big name for themselves hmm. but if they came out here that bit younger like imagine how much they would have excelled it's like because they're excelling so much now um, hmm. so that's why I wanted to give it a go younger and just take it and just grow and learn the sport and yeah. try to be the best athlete I can be the women's game is really big in Australia. I don't think we realise it. And people like yourself and Cora and Vicky Walls started going out there. Yeah, 100%. That's the thing. It's just, it's so professional. And the supporters are just amazing. Like, I'm, in, I'm working in the um, roof shop, the merchandise shop, and in my spare time just to keep me busy because, like, obviously the days kind of go um, by faster when I'm obviously doing stuff. And uh, I'm after getting into that job now, and I love it because I meet loads of supporters and customers, and they be asking for pictures. It's just, it's just that bit like of support that you get when you come into a shop. Like the Aussies are actually the closest thing to Irish you'll get. Really, the friendliness, the friendly faces is just amazing, and I love that about here. Yeah, I worked with a few of them over the years. Over the years, I got on really well with them. There's something about the Aussies and the Irish. We bounce off each other really well. Yeah, one hundred percent, and it's just like. Even the girls here, the friends I made, and like they're like my second family now, which I'm so grateful for. Yeah. Like they all look out for me, and if I'm having a bad day, they put their arms around me and they make sure I'm okay by the end of the day. And like I even 
go out for dinner and stuff with some of them and like they invite me over to the houses so like, I'm really lucky that way that the girls have just been amazing Fabulous Talk to me about that call to your mum First of all let's go to the selection process because I watched the video back so Croc is it Crocker they he he had five names and none of you knew you were going to be drawn until you actually someone went up and drew it is that how it worked? Yeah 100% like none of us knew um, what he was doing we thought it was just um, like one of his speeches that he rambles on about. So <laughs> we thought it was going to be something like that, just a talk. And then he started playing this game, this care game, and none of us knew what was really happening. And then he started picking people out, and then people picked up the card, and it said, oh, Taylor Gat's going to be the new debut on Saturday. And I was just praying that my name would get called out. And when it did, I just broke down. I, I obviously just have been training so hard for it. And then to hear my name actually get called out, I was just so excited. Yeah. Now, I watched the video back and I didn't hear anyone saying Erica, but I saw you standing up answering to Ricky. They changed your name. Yeah, so I actually barely respond to Erica these days because um, the girls find it hard to say Erica because it's longer than what they're used to, so they shortened it to Ricky, so I'm well used to that by now. That's kind of cool. It is kind of cool. So then you came out yeah. and, you, and did you know that they were filming you for the team Twitter, like? As you called oh, your, no. your poor mother. No, like, um, I was just ringing my mom, and then when the girls pulled out her phone, and, like, I was just so emotional because it was the first time my mom hasn't been with me for, like, a big occasion or a big match. Yes. I'm trying not to get upset <laughs> because um, it obviously takes a toll on you, too. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I forgot that. Of course, she probably dropped you to training and stuff like that many times, so. Yeah, she, <laughs> I can't drive, so she's she's been driving me all the time. Yeah. Up until I left here, so, yeah. <laughs> so now, here you are, really big moment, your debut with the team, and she's thousands and thousands of miles away. So she was crying and you were crying and everyone was laughing. I know, everyone was just laughing because I think my mum like, was obviously so excited too and it was just, even she was saying it, like, she knows that I've been like wanting this for so long, so like when I finally got it, it was just like, she was just so happy for me and I was just so happy that I could make her proud as well. So. I, think, I think the whole town of McCroom and the whole county of Cork is happy for you, Ricky, I'll move to that name now. Yeah. Like, when are Thank you likely you. to get to see McCroom again, do you think? I... I'm hoping Christmas, but I have to, you know, base it by year, to be honest. But I, I really hope to go home for Christmas. That's what I'd love to do, go home to my family and just celebrate like every other year. But you know, I have to see how, how the year plays out. Does the season run through Christmas and New Year? Yeah, it does. So that's why it's tough that way. But um, like it, it depends. I think it could go to the the end of November they're saying now right. so that wouldn't be too bad so at least I have time then to go home and alright well listen congratulations on, on a successful debut do you know when you're going to play again Um. so yeah we actually have a game on this Friday night in the MCG it's like the biggest um, stadium in Melbourne so it's really exciting Fabulous. and we're going to be playing there against Melbourne Demons which is like one of the bigger teams in um, Melbourne so that's going to be a big challenge, but we're all looking forward to it nonetheless. Fantastic. Well, good luck with that, Ricky, and continued success yeah. in, in Melbourne. And if you're home at Christmas, we might catch up again. Definitely. I'd love that. Thanks for the chat today. I really appreciate it. It was lovely to hear another Irish accent. <laughs> Take care of yourself out there. You too. Thanks so much. That's Erica O'Shea, or Ricky O'Shea, as they have christened her in Melbourne, because, get that, and she said to me off tape, she said that the... It's easier to shout 
from the sideline than it is to shout Erica. And that was where it all started. So she'll be Ricky now. She likes it as well. You can tell she's absolutely loving it out there. And uh, she's lovely to talk to. We'll chat to her again, hopefully, around Christmas time when we find out how whether she's getting home or not. Earlier this morning, I was chatting with Emma. Emma's another mom who's got a little boy with real problems. He's self-harming. He's three he's self-harming, he's banging his head off tables and stuff like that and she's so frustrated and there's nothing there for him Susan was on from Toker uh, she's in a group of mothers of children with all levels of autism uh, she wants us to send her number to Emma and she'd be happy to talk to her, so we've done that we've done that, and Chloe is an early intervention teacher for children with autism and asked us to pass on her details to Emma, which we have done. Uh, there was another message I wanted to get back to as well before we leave. I didn't want to forget it. Yes, uh, one thing, PJ, these women weren't helped pre-COVID, let alone today. The fact still remains that until it darkens your door, your government isn't interested in spending real money on providing services for these families. Why? There's no votes. The proof is in the election results, as long as you're talking about it. God, it's very hard to disagree with that. All right, that's it. The programme today edited by Fiona Corcoran, produced and researched by Richard Vickery. And we'll see you tomorrow just after nine. You guys ready? Drive home weekdays from four on Corks ninety six FM. Back to school, back to routine after the summer, and the music class of the Big Drive Home is in progress. Roll call, please. Hey guys, it's Justin Bieber. Hi, everyone. This is Lady Gaga. This is your girl Cardi B. This is Post Malone. First lesson of the day: the one second song. Who's done their homework? That's it. Detention for you lot. After school, after work, join me on The Big Drive Home weekdays from four. And don't be late. The Big Drive Home on Cork's 96 FM. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks. You're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen.